0: wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Science from Wired. Who will we be when this is all over? The COVID-19 pandemic has brought incalculable suffering and trauma, but it also offers ways for people and even societies to change for the better. By Matt Simon. Existential Crises – they can bloom out of the loss of a job or a family member or a shaking of your religious faith or even a bad drug trip. Basically, you start to wonder, who am I? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of life? It's this bewildering journey limited to the individual, or at least it was. And then the COVID-19 pandemic totally shook the existence of all humanity We've lost loved ones and jobs, and thanks to our surreal existence in lockdown, any sense of normalcy for almost a year now. And this virus has claimed the lives of 280,000 Americans. And some COVID-19 survivors are still dealing with brutal symptoms, months after they've contracted it. And because we've been trapped at home, many of us are definitely struggling with loneliness. Marriages and families have been pushed to the breaking point, and some beyond. And now that there are several vaccines on the horizon and the end of this thing's in sight, we're facing an existential conundrum. Who will we be when this is all over? Adrienne Hines says it's been frenetic, unsustainable, and exhausting for a long time. She's a clinical research psychologist at the Stanford University School of Medicine. She also says, and when we're forced to slow down and rest... It's really just this interesting time to get in touch with our priorities. What do we really care about? Why do we want to get up in the morning? And the people who may have the toughest recovery are those living through pandemic-related trauma. Psychologists are defining trauma as the concern for your life, bodily harm, or your own welfare, or your concerns for someone close to you. So this might include people who have lost a loved one or someone who survived a particularly severe case of COVID-19. A social psychologist at the University of North Carolina Charlotte named Amy Canavello says a very typical response to that is to feel like your worldview has been completely ripped apart. The lens through which you see the world and make sense of the world gets broken. And this can make people ruminate uncontrollably on those traumatic events. Think of the classic symptoms experienced by combat vets with post-traumatic stress disorder. They have flashbacks and nightmares. And constantly thinking about the event can bring constant stress. But some survivors of trauma might actually end up embarking on what Cannavello and other psychologists call post-traumatic growth. That uncontrollable rumination starts to evolve into a more deliberate thinking about the event, and the patient starts putting the pieces of their worldview back together. They don't forget what happened, but they do start to incorporate it into a new way of seeing the world, which is why it's called post-traumatic growth, right? Asks Canavello. You're not the same person you were before because you've had to figure out a way to incorporate this really negative thing into your sense of who you are and how the world operates. Now, in an ideal world, during and after the pandemic, every American would have free access to the kind of mental health care that helps guide this journey into growth. But that just ain't America. The pandemic has made glaring inequities in our society even more glaring. And that means some communities have faced more trauma than others and will enter recovery with fewer resources. Like when the pandemic first took hold, some of the rich decamped to their second homes in the country. And many white-collar workers just worked from home and ordered food and all the other things they needed in Those people could wait out the chaos in relative peace, but the lower-income earners in cities were forced to work their essential jobs in person. And that put them at higher risk of contracting COVID-19. Researchers could see this in anonymized smartphone data. 25% more high-income earners stayed home when the pandemic hit, compared to just 10% more among the low-income earners. And then you have to consider that 43% of essential workers are people of color, according to Chandra Farley. She's the director of the Partnership for Southern Equities Just Energy program. And back in August, she told Wired we sometimes automatically characterize people as vulnerable without saying they are made to be more vulnerable to certain things because of systemic racism and historic inequities. And then this study comes out in July by researchers at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine, and it found that poorer counties around the U.S., the ones with substantial non-white populations, had eight times the number of COVID infections than those with substantially white populations, and they had nine times the number of deaths. So it's all to say, who you become during and after the pandemic depends on your systemic privileges. And age is a factor, too. The elderly are more susceptible to severe COVID-19, but they're also more susceptible to isolation. And isolation has its own risks, both for physical and mental health. Elena Portocolone is a sociologist at the University of California, San Francisco, and she said, I must say, that my take is quite bleak. And older adults who live alone may be struggling with other health conditions, too, like diabetes or cancer or dementia. And those living on fixed incomes who were just scraping by before the pandemic are now hit with these extra costs, like the price of food. It soared during the pandemic. Portocolone says money could be so tight that some of these elderly Americans, they can barely afford to buy masks. She says, so the suffering coming from being stuck and having very little money has been exacerbated by the pandemic. But at the same time, one of the few upsides to the pandemic is that it has opened some doors for the elderly and other people to get some care. Heinz says there's been a big shift in telehealth and digital mental health. That's because mental health workers like Heinz haven't been able to actually see their patients in person, so they're using video sessions now. And she's hoping that after the pandemic, telehealth will be a permanent thing. She says working to access resources and care through digital means is a shift that I hope just keeps on going. And the other thing about video conferencing is that it could help alleviate loneliness. There's this entrepreneur named Kat Lee, and she co founded a service called Pace. It's kind of like Zoom, but it's for group therapy, and a mental health professional acts as a facilitator for different types of therapy groups, like for struggling dads and moms, or maybe people going through a divorce or a separation. Just people going through some things that are made all the more difficult during the pandemic because they don't have access to support networks. Actually, Adrian Hines operates as a facilitator for PACE. Cat Lee said, a common thing is people sort of struggling in isolation, feeling alone and wanting to feel connected. And these groups give people a chance to practice empathy with one another and vulnerability. Now, PACE is not meant to be a replacement for one-on-one therapy, but it's more of a complement to it. The idea is to give people a way to just talk through their problems and maybe find community while we're all stuck in the middle of this pandemic. You're going through similar life circumstances or similar struggles and that breaks the ice and sort of starts the trust going and meets their goal of deepening connection with others, says Lee. So, as awful as the past year has been, maybe the pandemic can elicit change within ourselves and our communities. Maybe you've picked up cooking or a new hobby or finally started that novel. Maybe you've been more diligent about keeping in touch with your faraway friends and relatives or maybe you've just gotten to know your neighbors a little bit better. There's been so much doom and gloom and trauma and adversity, says Heinz. And I think what we sometimes forget in the midst of it when we're in the weeds is that we're capable of a lot of growth when we go through hard things. And sometimes we come out as better versions of ourselves, both as individuals and as communities. And perhaps, too, this brutal year could bring some systemic change. This pandemic has really exposed how the Ineffective social safety net of the U.S. disproportionately punishes women. Like when schools started closing, a lot of women quit their jobs so they could go take on the unpaid work at home. In September, 865,000 women left the workforce. That's four times the number of men. Heinz said, "...it's made me hope that this attention that the plight of parents, and women in particular, have received will ignite conversations and actions toward providing more support for families with children." and that means childcare prioritizing schools being open versus other types of institutions and businesses and supporting women so their careers don't have to take a back seat she adds we can do better and now we know through this natural experiment where the pain points are like what you learned subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com/science